Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined here by... Jim. Hello, everybody. Hello, Patrick. In this podcast, we watch, review, and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. Our movies this week are the somewhat unexciting double feature of Saw (laughs) 3 from 2006 and... 1959's The Angry Red Planet, a movie that you've probably never heard of. I assume if you're listening to us, you've heard of Saw. I mean, Saw... Everybody's heard of Saw. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But The Angry Red Planet, I mean, what the hell is that, right? That was... (laughs) This is the first movie, other than maybe Super Dragon versus Superman, which was like a last-minute replacement. Yeah. This is probably like the one movie I've never... I had no, I knew nothing about going into it. But yeah, I don't know. This is a bizarre byproduct of the space craze of the 50s, and that's where it should have stayed, in obscurity. All right, well, we're bringing it back from the dead, just like Jigsaw in Saw 4 here, (laughs) and all subsequent Saw films. So Saw 3, by this point in the series, you should know what the Saw series is. This is directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman of Saw 2 fame, so we're well removed from the somewhat nuanced direction <laughs> of James Wan, and we're into full schlock here. And I'll preface this by saying, I don't know about you, Jim, but I watched, because this is what I owned, the extended or unrated cut of Saw 3. I assume that's what I watched. Yeah, I, I, don't, th- I don't think I've ever seen the theatrical cut, because I think... I've either owned this movie or rented it from a video store, and I think each time I've had the unrated one. So I do, however, first of all, shout out to Lionsgate. Say what you will about their films in in some cases, but outstanding DVD for really. Saw 3 <laughs> is, is an outstanding DVD, some excellent special features. You get some great behind-the-scenes looks at Darren Lynn Bowsman and, and his directing style. Uh, in, in quotes of in quotes of <laughs> yeah. course but the film had three commentary tracks or the dvd did oh my god <laughs> and you know me I'm, I'm a sucker for commentary tracks at at two different two different nights i threw a different one on when i was going to bed there's one with darylin bosman lee winnell who's credited as the co-writer and i think like executive producer or something and then some other producer guy and then there was one of darylin bosman and like maybe two producer guys and then there was one of just producers and i you know i i don't think darren lynn was that interesting but i didn't want to <laughs> hear just from those three or whatever so i'm sorry sorry mark berg or whoever i don't remember and and jim i'm sure you wouldn't know this but on i think most of the saw movies there's a dead person credited as the producer and i don't know i think what it was is i think he produced the first movie and then maybe he died during or before Saw 2, so they just like kept throwing his name on each of the Saw movies because they felt like he was, you because know, because they felt little... like 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 they owed him something. Yeah, or... yeah, you know, yeah. a little honoring the dead. And then I, I I'm curious if if that's still been kept up with because you know we had Spiral a year or two ago and we're getting Saw X. I think later this year, maybe yeah, next so, year. Yeah, so is, is Saw X the tenth Saw movie in the franchise? It is. Yes. Well, it. I think. If you count Spiral as 
a film in the franchise, which which it is, it's, but it's like its own thing. It's an offshoot. Okay. To my knowledge, Saw X is going to have Tobin Bell, which Spiral did not. So I don't have a fucking clue how that's going to work. But is Tobin? Bell I gotta still say, alive? I'm intrigued. <laughs> Tobin Bell is still alive. He's looking older and older, and which which is funny because as the sequels go on, at, at a certain point in the series, his character dies. Maybe it's in this film. I don't know. We might end up talking about it, Jim. But he, uh, <laughs> so, so every time he appears on screen, every time Tobin Bell appears on screen, it's a flashback. And so it's it's like earlier and earlier yeah. in the timeline of the films, but Tobin Bell is looking older and older. <laughs> and then yeah. there's just like nothing you can do to get around that. I mean, nowadays, I wouldn't be surprised if Saw X busts out some uh, de-aging, digital de-aging stuff. I think that was probably above the pay grade of some of the earlier Saw movies, but now that technology's been out there for a long time. But now, like, the question is, is the Saw franchise pulling in the numbers and the money to make it worth it? That's an excellent question. Because the series was essentially rebooted twice within about five years. You had Jigsaw, (laughs) which I don't think did well at all. And then you had Spiral a few years later, which also I don't think did that well, but that was like right when movie theaters were like opening back up. So just in general, most movies weren't doing that well. So I think the producers of this film or the living producers of of upcoming Saw X were like, yeah, you know, our numbers weren't too hot, but, (laughs) you know, so I I don't know. I, I, I would love to see the series keep going, quite frankly. It's been a train wreck for a long time but it's but it's a fun it's a fun exciting train wreck i keep wanting to see you know how are they going to give tobin bell screen time when he's been dead in canon of the series for over half of it at this point for almost 20 years and they keep coming up because they keep they need to keep doing the twist endings and each one gets dumber and dumber like the twist ending the original saw perfect twist ending in saw 2 it works. The twist ending here, I actually think, works better than it does in Saw 2. But, you know, it, it keeps getting more and more ridiculous after that. But this is a series that I've really grown fond of over the years, largely because of its faults. It's so ridiculous. But, it's. It, I mean, it's. I'm I'm going to keep throwing money at this thing, no matter if you <laughs> get to Saw 11. I, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm there in the cinema. I, I, that, I promise you. Well, you know what I don't understand, though, before we actually get into the movie, is that Saw kind of preceded the whole escape room game thing. Yes. And then it's existed throughout the height of escape rooms. I assume we've already hit the height of escape rooms. But Saw never really got big again. And you would think people would be really into Saw, seeing is that it's like a horror escape room. A couple things there. First of all, I don't know if you're aware of this, there is a Saw escape room. (laughs) <laughs> or at least there was. It Wait, opened what? up in Vegas. I really wanted to go to it. This was back when my brother lived in Vegas. It was also pre-COVID, though, and I wouldn't be shocked to hear that that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. If it's still around, I'd let you know. I'd love to. I I I, I still really want to go on Saw the Ride at Thorpe Park, the <laughs> roller coaster in England. But and then the other thing is, so you're right. It hasn't gotten. It hasn't picked up in popularity. And, and I wonder if that's 
maybe the the genre because yeah you have the escape room stuff that's popular people like doing that people do that as like work trips now Mm -hmm. like team building exercises stuff like that like back in the day maybe you did paintball now you do an escape room like right yeah like but the saw movies are still so freaking bloody and disgusting i think they just turn off people and they have that ceiling and you had this time period in the mid 2000s mid to late 2000s where that was popular you had the hostile movies coming off which are kind of rip-offs of saw or definitely like inspired by them Mm -hmm. and i mean that was back when rob zombie movies were getting like wide releases theatrically like he can't even do that anymore like that there's just not much of an interest anymore in that super bloody super gory you know call it torture porn if you want that like yeah, well, I mean, like, I think that's a great kind of segue into the movie itself because I was feeling physically ill watching. <laughs> I will movie. say, I mean, and, I, I, I've I've seen this film before, and again, we're, I, I watched the extended cut. I assume you probably did too. Mm-hmm. There were a few scenes in this movie where, like, you know, it, it's like, ugh, it's like I don't on a yeah. Like, I mean, like, I've I've seen this movie not, before. I don't seen, like this. <laughs> I've seen the first, I think, four saws. several times but there's a reason i stopped watching them it's because i don't get hard to torture porn (laughs) i don't either i don't don't like the implication there's too much blood and gross and gore for me i mentioned james wan earlier james wan is listed i think as a producer on this film lee winnell still involved in the writing but if you've seen the two of them in interviews they are very negative on the saw sequels i think they view it as at a certain point it got away from what they originally wanted it to be mm-hmm. and it got dumb and it got it became torture porn like they, James Wan wasn't about that torture porn stuff he was trying to make 7 yeah he was yeah. trying to make 7 on a budget and if you see the especially Lee Winnell I think even if you see the movies that he's made as as a director it's like they're really thoughtful interesting movies like the invisible man yeah, he's not about this stuff. This is like this is Darren Lynn Bowsman's thing, Ugh. and I, I, you know, that's just. Ugh. And I mean, he. I think he directed Saw two, three, and four. And he, I mean, credit him. He's devoted to the series. He came back for Spiral. I believe he's directing Saw X, but I think he took it, the series, in a direction that ultimately made it worse. And I think it was probably an inevitable direction. Mm-hmm. But it's disappointing to see that it happens so quickly in the series, especially because I think Saw 2 still has enough integrity to it with yes. some of the yeah. acting and stuff. And then in this movie, there's a little bit of that there with some of the character stuff. But you can feel that slipping away. And, and I would say by Saw 4, it's completely gone. And Saw 3, it's just barely there. It's clinging. But it's completely gone <laughs> soon enough. And it never comes back until Spiral... I would say was kind of an interesting, different movie. Intelligent, maybe, maybe not, but like it was definitely trying to do something different with Spiral, and I think it kind of worked. But Saw four through eight, hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get into this awful, gory movie then. We've witnessed his genius. Most people are so ungrateful to be alive. We know his work. Please don't do this to me. <laughs> Watch his legend grow. 
Saw 3. Suffering. You haven't seen anything yet. So, with all that having been said, we open right where Saw 2 left off, with Donnie Wahlberg, Detective Eric Matthews, locked in the famous Saw bathroom. And I know from the commentary tracks, or from one of them, that this was actually the set where they filmed the bathroom scene with Shaquille O'Neal and Dr. Phil in Scary Movie 4. <laughs> Believe it or not. I, uh, they made Saw. It was cheap. I'm sure they just got rid of that set after it was done, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, Scare Movie 4 does the bathroom scene, and then all of a sudden the Saw sequels need another bathroom, <laughs> and they're not going to build it from scratch. They reach out to Scare Movie 4, and they shoot there, but then they also discovered right away that the bathroom was completely wrong, so they had to like dress it up and make it more like the original anyways. So, uh, gotcha. But that's kind of fun, you know. Shaq has stood where Detective Donnie Wahlberg can no longer stand because he has to smash his own foot in. And Dr. Phil has sat on that floor. He's graced the floor with his buttocks. Yes. So Donnie Wahlberg finds out quickly that the saw doesn't work. And instead of, you know, on the chain, and instead of cutting off his own foot like Lawrence Gordon does in the original, he instead takes the toilet lid and just crushes his foot over and over again so he can just slide it through the uh, shackle. And this, again, from the commentary track, I got that this was in the theatrical cut was pretty brief i think he smashed his foot like three times in the unrated cut he smashes it like a dozen it's completely excessive i, I mean it's it's disgusting and it's brutal <laughs> but i at least like that the lighting is so it's dark. really dark and you yeah. don't see as much as you could but apparently there was a take when they were filming it where he smashed it over and over again the, the this fake foot to the point where you couldn't even recognize that it was supposed to be a foot and thankfully they didn't leave that take in the movie ugh, ugh. <laughs> so after donnie Wahlberg gets out of his shackles we cut to a swat team cutting their way into a door that had been welded shut in like a classroom for some reason they never draw attention to like this is a an elementary school classroom so i don't know why it's there but and then we cut back and forth obviously to the flashbacks of what happened at this crime scene there was a a shirtless man being chained up and he has billy the puppet on the video telling him you are a repeat offender and you clearly are more comfortable in chains now you need to prove like how much you want to be free you have to rip these things off and this is awful too oh it's again very disgustingly horrifying the chains are looped through huge chunks of his flesh, and then he has Also, two... is there is there a way that he could survive? Because he has one going through, like, his jaw. Yeah, no, there's no way. There's no there's way. There's no way. Well, and, and I guess that's the point, right? You're not supposed to get out of the game. Yes, but because when Dina Meyer shows up, Detective Carey, Allison Carey, I think is her name, mm-hmm. she realizes that it's not Jigsaw, and they're like, what the hell? How, how is this not Jigsaw? Like, what other weirdo would do this? And she's like, well, you had to cut into the door. He couldn't escape. Jigsaw's whole thing is someone, you have to have the chance to survive. But they never draw attention to the thing going through the jaw. But I guess they wouldn't know it. The body's just in pieces. So so I guess that's excusable. But, but you're right. The point is that, that he cannot escape, which yeah. right off the bat makes it seem like, okay, is this Jigsaw then? So then there's... A scene of Carrie over at her home. She has hallucinations of Donnie Wahlberg, which, you know, I think we've all been there. And <laughs> I was about to make that joke. 
<laughs> then she's she's studying the film, the Billy the Puppet video, when her own television cuts to a feed of a camera staring at or looking at her from her closet. She, of course, pulls out her gun immediately and just fires into it. But then she opens it, finds the camera. It, there wasn't anyone there. But then someone with a pig mask attacks her from behind. And I like this scene. Mm-hmm. This is... A bit of a throwback to the original Saw, there's that great scene with Lee Winnell in his apartment where he was, like, taking photos Yeah, to use the flash to kind of see what was going on. This is probably the only scene in the rest of the series that resembles that in any way. Well, and, and, and it's done well because it is genuinely creepy. Mm-hmm. You know? Whereas- and it's, it's, co- it's cool how you see your first glimpse of the person in the pig mask coming to capture her is through the footage it's not you're not seeing like so that's kind of neat too but yeah i would say it's one of the best scenes of the movie it's one of the least violent scenes of the movie which may or may not have anything to do with that and it's also one of the shortest scenes of the movie it feels like (laughs) which is why it's one of the best scenes of the movie well maybe (laughs) darren lynn bowsman has an obsession or at least he did with the first couple saw movies he made or, or at least saw three and four i don't remember this in saw two maybe it's there he has an obsession with doing these wacky transition scenes, but also doing them completely in camera. And I'm going to talk about the one that he just did here. There's others here. In software, it's completely off the rails. Like someone gets thrown (laughs) through glass and lands in another scene, and the scene just proceeds like that didn't just happen. And it's like you're you're just like the entire time, you're just like trying to recover from what the fuck did I just see? But here in this movie, so we have this scene with Detective Carey here at the crime scene. There's also, of course, we have to point out because he will be important in future movies, although he really doesn't leave any kind of impression here. But there is a forensic man named Hoffman, played by Costas Mandalore. Mm-hmm. At this scene, the camera goes to show like all the stuff on the ground. And as this is going on, Dina Meyer is running off camera taking off her clothes and jumping into the bath because that's the next scene when she has that Donnie Wahlberg hallucination. That is all in camera. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It is, there's nothing digital. There's not a special effect. And when you're watching it, you, you will notice there the, the water is rippling when she's in the bath. It's because she just got in. It's really creative and it's cool and it's really neat to know that, he, that Darren Lynn Bosman pulled those things off. But at the same time, why? Yes, yeah, that's, that's the point. It's yeah, just a complete no show-off no thing, need. right? Yeah. I would say of the three films he directed in this series, I'm not Spiral is its own thing. I mean, of the three films here, Saw Four is definitely the most distracting use of them. If he did them in Saw Two, I don't remember. So this is like maybe a middle ground, but pretty interesting to know that. But also seems pretentious film school studenty. Do you think he was doing stuff like that to kind of make up for the lack of, like, a good story or other interesting things in the rest of the movie? He was like, look, I can do this, but you're not going to see anything as exciting the rest of the movie, but I can do this. <laughs> well, I you see. Know? I don't think it would be that. I think, I mean, in some ways you could say it's compensating for the lack of story, but you could say the same about the gore. I mean, I, I don't think it's like, oh, there's nothing exciting in this movie, so we need to do this. I think it's... Listen, the story's paper thin. If we do a lot of cool stuff with the traps and the blood, and then we also do this wild, these wild transitions, this would mm-hmm. be fun, right? I, th- I think it's more just that. 
Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. So Detective Carrie finds herself in a trap where she is suspended by chains. She's got these things like digging into a ribcage, and then she's got a jar of acid in front of her that a key is dropped into, and she has to get the key out of the acid and unlock the trap. But of course, she can't just tip over the jar of acid to get the key. She has to reach her hand in there. It's nasty stuff. Like, she pulls it off. She's able to do this, but then the trap won't unlock. So, kind of like the guy in the elementary school classroom, she wasn't really given a chance to live either. Mm -hmm. And in fact, right before she dies, the last thing she sees is someone appears to be a woman stepping forward into her view. We don't see her face. And she goes, you? Like, with a question. And then she dies. This thing rips open her ribcage, I guess, and just holds them over the air it's actually kind of a neat shot this whole it is now now wasn't that also like something that was called like a blood eagle or something back in yeah this has some i i was at ancient rome i I know this has some kind of historical parallel and actually a decent amount of the saw traps do they do like an iron maiden thing in one of the sequels a decent amount of these have like historical torture device parallels and i think this is definitely one of them but i don't know the details on it i just looked up what a blood eagle is it's a way of ritually executing a chosen member in the late skaldic poetry oh so it's viking i guess so there you go it was a way of executing somebody and wait it's only in poetry i'm confused by that i don't know i'm not going to read the rest of the wikipedia that's fine that's fine (laughs) Those Vikings, they're so enlightened, man. (laughs) So enlightened. So at this point, we're thinking like, okay, who the fuck is our main character, right? Because Donnie Mm -hmm. Wahlberg is, he's without a foot or whatever, you know, he's trapped. (laughs) All of our other characters now, basically, that we've known in the series are dead. Danny Glover doesn't want anything to do with this shit. (laughs) So who are we going to follow? Well, then we pick up with a woman who's in bed with another man. They appear to be having some kind of lover's quarrel, and she needs to go into work. She works at a hospital, and she's like, she says to this guy, like, is there, like, what do you want from me? And he's like, a divorce. So then she goes to work. She <laughs> saves a child's life by doing the opposite of what she was told to do. But then she gets pulled aside and she's she's being given a stern talking to like you are a really talented doctor, but you need to get your head out of your ass. Like, why are you acting like this? And it's like, okay, I guess she's like depressed or something, right? Well, it doesn't matter because she gets kidnapped by a pig. (laughs) And she wakes up in a wheelchair in this jigsaw, I'll say workshop. Yeah, yeah. She's, of course, being held captive by Amanda, who is the woman from the first film that survived the reverse bear trap. In the second film, she was inside the nerve gas house that Donnie Wahlberg's son was in. But at the end of that movie, it was revealed that she was aiding and abetting Jigsaw. She is the new apprentice. And this is obviously who Carrie saw right before she died. She wheels this woman I, I suppose we should say who this other woman is this is lynn oh is that her name i'll believe you yes well yeah we don't get her last name yet because that's part of the twi- twist if you will but lynn is wheeled into jigsaw who is like dying on a hospital bed 
Uh, he's over on his side. He's got his oxygen thing. He's not looking good. I mean, which makes sense because the last time we saw him, obviously saw too. He's coughing up blood and stuff like that. He's got cancer. He's dying. But they are going to try to use Lynn to keep him alive. Not save his life so much because she looks at the diagnosis. She did, apparently, she was a doctor or a consulting doctor of John Kramer. Yeah, at, yeah. At, at some he has point. Like a, he has like a, a tumor, right, in his frontal lobe or something like that, or it's... Yeah, yeah, he's got, he's, yeah. He's fucked and up. And then... Is that... Of th- course. That's it, yeah. And she looks through the paperwork briefly. She doesn't really remember him, but we see the name Lawrence Gordon all over this paperwork. That is the Carrie Elwes character. Wanted to point that out because this is... Both movies today feature Dr. Gordon's. <laughs> John Kramer's being super condescending to her because she's talking to him too clinically. She's like, he's like, you have no bedside manner. Like, you need to just talk to me as if I'm a person or something. And so the, the whole thing is... <laughs> but but I'm a person that's kidnapped you and brought you here. <laughs> right, exactly. But so Amanda throws this collar around Lynn. It's got, like, shotgun shells on it. Mm-hmm. And it's tied to his heart rate so that if he dies, she will also die. So he or she needs to keep him alive. And eventually she has to operate on him with the crudest of materials. She keeps obviously saying we need to take him to the hospital, but they're not going to do that because this dude is wanted for several dozen murders at this point, even though, of course, <laughs> he insists he's not a murderer. Of course, that's Jigsaw's M.O., she needs to keep him alive long enough for this other experiment that they're doing, this other game that they've set up to take place. Now, what is the other game we see this poor, miserable bastard named Jeff stuck in a box? He eventually bursts out of the box, but he is about to go through this trial because his thing is he had a son who was killed by a drunk driver, mm-hmm. or maybe not a drunk driver, but a driver, and he wants revenge he's been we, we see flashbacks of him like drinking doing the you talking to me type thing with it with the mirror like pointing the gun at the mirror yeah like taxi driver yeah and uh we see he's kind of been neglectful towards his daughter. surviving daughter yeah he listens to the tape that is given to him by jigsaw and his whole thing is he has to go through all of this crap learn to forgive learn to put petty vengeance aside and Jigsaw promises him he will meet the person responsible for all of his suffering and all of this stuff, for the loss of his child. So his first stop in this trial is a freezer room with a naked woman strung up and getting cold water sprayed on her. He has to get the key to get her out. But this woman, of course, is a witness to the to the death of his son and fled the scene and didn't end up testifying and jeff thinks like had she testified they could have put the guy away which by the way that's a pretty he's still got prison time i i don't understand yeah but also too though like that's a pretty shitty thing i don't think most people would watch a kid get hit by a car and killed and then be like you know what i'll just drive away and pretend i wasn't here to see this (laughs) You know? You're right, but it's happened. Like we know, we oh, know that 100%. stuff has happened. It's yeah. not, but it does feel a bit like okay. How can we get him to blame more than one person? How can we get Jeff <laughs> yeah. to blame more than one person? Because it seems like yes, a pretty exactly. clear cut, a cut and dry thing. Like okay, someone hit his kid with a car. 
but one person's at fault. But how can we get him to blame no. at least three people? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so instead of immediately helping this poor naked woman, he's instead yelling at her and doing all this stuff before he finally decides to help. And he has to reach for a key. In doing so, he has to place his cheek on mm. like a metal bar. For some reason, he doesn't use his sweater to cover up any of this stuff. So when he gets the key and pulls away, a big part of his cheek is just taken off, which looks really good, by the way. Like, like that's it's probably my favorite gore of the movie because it's not excessive and it feels really realistic when that yeah. happens. Yeah, I agree. But then when he comes back with the key... <laughs> This woman is completely covered in, like, a plastic, you know, it's supposed to be yes, ice, yeah. obviously, but it looks so fake. I know. And it, then he still still tries to, like, save her, too. And I know. It's well, like, the, yeah, the buddy, best I think you're is, a little late. The best part is she's under, like, a half inch of ice, totally yeah. dead. There's no mouth hole. Oh, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> yeah. he's still trying to, like... Yeah, like, he's, like, uh, rubbing her face, like, reaching for the lock. It's like, buddy, <laughs> come on. She, she's behind plastic. She's already dead. The door in this freezer opens and he is able to leave. He also picks up a box and inside is a bullet and there's some note too. I don't remember what the note says. Also, Lynn, I suppose we should say, why is she on trial here? What did she do? Well, according to John Kramer anyways, she turns her turned her back on her child and has not been a good wife because she's cheated on her husband and all this is like okay do we need to kill her for this though (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know right it's like yeah i mean i get it she's she's you know not the she's not a perfect mother or a perfect spouse but you know does she deserve death probably not (laughs) right and she has a lot of interactions with amanda amanda in by this movie is kind of there's a little bit to her character but she's mostly kind of just crazy and the biggest over actor in the history of yeah, she's not. She it's 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 unfortunate too because it, she's awesome in that first Saw movie when she's in the trap. Like that is arguably the best acted scene in the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. But then when they made her go villain, she just isn't as good. She's not as believable in this part because the character's completely changed at this point. Uh, I think so, at one point she's like yelling at Lynn and she calls her a cunt, and that's I laughed out loud. Yeah, yeah, that's towards the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She she gives Lynn an opportunity to kill her, but then reminds her that like she's the only one. Amanda's the only one that knows how to get this shotgun thing off of her, and she won't be able to leave this warehouse until all that happens. So Lynn obviously doesn't kill her, and Lynn eventually is persuaded to start an operation on Jigsaw. But she's basically only got power drills to work with. This was the really really squeamish stuff of the movie for me. Me as and well. It's it's completely different. It's completely different gore and violence from like the rest of the series and even the rest of the movie. I'm tempted to say this is like super realistic. I th- I think they consulted like real medical stuff on I mean it's it's just but it, but it's nasty. I mean there's a reason Yeah. There's well, a reason Grey's Anatomy doesn't show live brain surgery on No, and also on, on television. I mean Coming from somebody who used to work in a morgue, these are the tools that you would see laying out on tables next to decapitated heads. Sure. That are being cut open just like this to practice some form of brain surgery on. Yeah. It is nasty stuff. They, like, cut open his head. They have to punch holes through his skull, and they eventually remove part of the skull. 
Ugh, ugh, and there's just it's blood, nasty. and you see you see the thickness of the skin and the flesh. Ugh, it's awful. It's nasty, and I want to say I could be wrong, but I think a long time ago I read something that like this scene was largely not cut for the film because unlike the other scenes of gore in this movie, they, their argument with the MPAA was basically like this is like how it's really done. This is like all the other stuff is like fantastical it's like this we're trying to make as realistic uh, as possible well and and that's awful but again to, i i can't confirm that because i've only seen the uncut version but the, i think i heard something about that at some point you know what else too whenever you see somebody start to saw through a bone that just gives me chills you know what i mean it just i just it's awful it's disgusting it's the worst i mean i can't say i've seen it too often like <laughs> that's true. i don't know what kind of media you're consuming over there <laughs> only the, the best <laughs> yeah i mean it's nasty and it's effective and it's a weird scene because as Kramer is losing oxygen he starts to have these little visions of he sees this woman this blonde woman beautiful blonde woman in a park eventually we see a scene of him kind of talking to her he Kramer not really knowing where he is because he's more or less dying at this point he's losing oxygen grabs Lynn's arm and says I love you we we kind of realize that oh he's He's thinking about the vision he has mm-hmm. of this woman who we don't know. But Amanda sees that and gets pissed off. Because Amanda basically worships Jigsaw. I don't know if there's like a literal, like, I love him aspect to that character. There might be. But mm-hmm. she's like, worships him. And she views Lynn as like a threat to their relationship. Yeah. But well, at the same time, she doesn't listen to anything he says. It's, no. it's a little confusing. <laughs> also, I'll be honest. I phased out a bit earlier in this recording. Did we explain the issue with the with the shotgun collar that Lynn is wearing? Yeah, it, it, the shotgun collar almost goes off in this scene because he's he's like almost dead here, but he makes it. So then Amanda goes off to her own little bedroom part of this warehouse and. She pulls out, like, a lighter, and I think she's considering going back to, like, heroin because that was her whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. she, I think she pulls out a lighter and, like, a, maybe a spoon or something. Maybe. I don't know. I guess cutting herself? Is that what that is? She's, yeah, like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. like, cutting she, her thigh or something. I guess that's her thing now. She's off drugs, but she cuts herself now. So you win some, you lose some. And then we see some flashbacks, too, of after she survives her trap, Jigsaw kramer tracks her down and like recruits her and is like you're you're so grateful to be alive and all this stuff but she also like he also sees that she's like into this weird stuff still like cutting herself but he Mm -hmm. still recruits her we all know john kramer's experimental method of therapy we see throughout what nine ten films not the highest success rate (laughs) despite what he tells himself yeah exactly But yeah, so, so we see a lot of like, like flashbacks. So if you see a little bit of like John Kramer designing Billy the Puppet, he's painting it for the first time before he's going to use it for, well, for the first time. That's complicated in the sequels, don't get me wrong. But before <laughs> he uses it in Amanda's test where she has to cut into her friend's and drug dealer's stomach or something like that to get a key, that trap in particular from the original Saw, Jigsaw's thing, I don't murder people. I give people choices and they decide if they live or die aside from the fact that some of his tests are incredibly difficult and involve like in saw 2 there's that guy that has to cut into his own eye to get a key like regardless of that 
I suppose technically that's possible to survive that, technically. But this one in particular with Amanda, when Amanda was the victim, specifically one person was going to die there. Because either she dies, or she saves herself, but by saving herself she has to dig through someone else's stomach to get a key. Well, also, since you brought that up, do you feel like all of the quick cuts in this movie are kind of referencing the first saw movie and the quick cuts that we saw there but they were done infinitely better than all the quick cutting jumping around in this movie they were also done out of necessity in the original darren lynn bowsman even talked about this in in the original or in the in the saw three one of the saw three commentary tracks or maybe lee Winnell talks about it but the reason they had that quick cutting was because they didn't have enough time or money to get like a bunch of different shots they tried to just edit it really fast to make it look like all the stuff had happened and really it hadn't and i think at this point that's just the style you associate with saw so that's why they're doing it there's not much of a reason other than that but yeah uh darren lynn bosman definitely said like the reason there's that mtv music video style editing was because (laughs) of because they didn't have the budget and it's like now we have the budget but i guess we're still doing that style you know it's it's not as inspired the same people who edited nickelback videos are we're also working on saw that's what uh <laughs> i don't think i've ever seen a nickelback video where his were their their videos like this i don't know i just picked out a random band <laughs> would have been big in the early 2000s so jeff comes across his second challenge where he it's the judge who gave his son's killer a very light sentence like i was like six, six months, months. Yeah, yeah it's less than a year and this poor guy is chained by the neck Ugh. at the bottom <laughs> of this like big vat and he's eventually getting giant pig carcasses shredded into like a gravy and being poured on him so he's basically being drowned by slop it's absolutely disgusting it's not gory but it's Almost well, as it, disgusting as anything else in the movie, but uh, but you I can do imagine like that. the smell. You can just imagine exactly. It. But yeah, so in order to save this guy, Jeff has to burn his own son's possessions, all of his son's stuffed animals, and then he will get the key to do it. He doesn't want to do it, but the judge convinces him. The judge is like, "Please, I'm a father too. Like, I'm sorry about what happened, but please, like, we can talk about this. Just do this thing." So he takes again. He takes his damn time, but eventually burns all the stuffed animals. Which we saw that he was overly protective of because earlier he got angry at his daughter for taking one of one of her dead brother's stuffed animals. <laughs> yeah, he was essentially like, you dumb bitch, don't be playing with us. Yeah, yeah we also see as the, as the stuffed animals start to burn, there is a pig stuffed animal in there. Just throwing uh... that out there. The key appears, he saves the judge just in time. And yeah, they continue. I think he, uh, at this point, gets another note. He picks up a magazine, like, to put the bullet in. He still doesn't have the gun, but he's got one bullet. So it's, it's finally, he's got a partner, because Jeff has been super frustrating at this point. Hopefully someone else can bring out the good in this character, right? That's what you're hoping, and then yes, you watch the yeah. movie, and it's like, oh, no, this is... <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is super frustrating. Like, I, I think he's, it, 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 in a different way... But in the way that like people will say Shelly in the Friday the 13th movies, Friday the 13th Part 3 is like the worst character in that series. Like some people say that. Some people like Shelly. Not us. Or in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original uh, Fr- Franklin, the guy in the wheelchair, he's like kind of annoying and obnoxious. People like hate on him throughout that. 
people say he's the most annoying character in horror movies ever. I think Jeff is a strong candidate for that title. He goes throughout the movie not learning anything about anything that's been happening to him or the other people. Right. You know, there's no character development. He's still a stupid asshole at the end of the movie. Just yes, like the but there's the also, like, I can't relate to what this guy's gone through, though. I mean, I, I am, no, no. to a certain point, sympathetic to him. I don't get why he, like, takes his damn time and tries arguing with this naked woman who's being frozen right in front of it. Like, no, just save her and then argue with yeah, her. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get a, let's get a move on. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Pronto. Call but, her, see you next Tuesday after you've <laughs> unhooked her and taken her out of the But room. he's annoying. He is annoying. Uh, even even in the scene when he eventually finds the guy that did, when he eventually is in front of the person that ran over his son, like, I get it. You're pissed at that guy. You've wanted revenge on him, but his limbs are being twisted backwards, and oh. you're, like, going up to him yelling, and it's like, buddy, I don't think he's really getting this message now. He's in, yeah, he's in so much pain, he can't think. Yeah. And that's a little frustrating. I, I get kind of ultimately his what he does at the very end. That makes sense to me. Like, I... It, it, I don't think, but yeah, he's just a really frustrating character to, I guess, root for or to follow along on his journey of the, the what's the opposite of self-discovery? Uh, ultimate ignorance? <laughs> yeah, he is frustrating. We also see a in the, um, at some point, a nice little flashback to Amanda helping Kramer set up the bathroom trap where she is the one that puts Adam into the bathtub, which is important because that means she dropped the key into the bathtub. And we saw at the very opening of, of the first Saw, he never really had a chance to get the key to unlock it because it just went like straight into the drain before he's even like awake. Yeah. Jeff and the judge enter the penultimate challenge. And it's this, uh, it's the, the man who killed his son, Timothy Young, But he is strung up on this rack. He's basically on a cross. And the tape, of course, says that the rack is Jigsaw's favorite trap. And what this thing does is it spins his limbs in the opposite way that they're meant to go. And what he has to do is he has to get a key. But in order to get a key to save him, he will have to take a shot from a shotgun because he has to reach down this tube, grab the key, and when he does that, that really that's going to fire the trigger there are a hundred percent ways you could have done this without getting shot there's definitely something you can do but i understand you're panicking you're you're trying to act quickly he obviously wastes like a good 90 seconds just yelling at this poor guy who's getting his yeah so the, the worst part about this scene is that the judge that he's just saved is like hey man i know you hate this guy but his limbs are being twisted off of mm-hmm. his body can we you know help him Yes. And he's but like, at the same time, ah, I hate him. He's killed my son. The judge is being so, you know, goody two shoes. Why doesn't he reach for the key? Why don't you take the shot, sir? Well, you can well, see yeah, exactly. that this Jeff dude is fucking useless. You can step up, take a shotgun to the shoulder, and try and save this guy, which is sort of what happens, but not <laughs> the way I describe it. So, yeah, sort of what happens. <laughs> Jeff gets the key, and he's like, I got it. And he avoids the shotgun blast, but I guess the judge just happened to be standing there, and he gets his head. Yes. <laughs> he gets a shotgun to the face. So this poor guy who's not even part of this thing gets killed. 
And then, of course, obviously, the key is way too late. And while this guy's head is literally, like, spun around him, like, you know, Linda Blair style, um, Jeff, like, hugs him and is like, I forgive you. I forgive you. And it's like, okay, that's great. Oh, yeah, great. But the, all this guy's appendages have been ripped off of his body. Yeah, he hasn't really learned anything now, has he? <laughs> so he leaves that room. He finally finds a gun. So he puts his magazine with one bullet in it. And he's ready to move on. Meanwhile, over at the Jigsaw headquarters, the experiment has made it through the last the last trial, so Lynn is free to go, except Amanda doesn't want to let her go because Amanda kind of just wants to kill her, but also there's a little bit of jealousy with Jigsaw and how he's kind of being nice to Lynn. And so, as, as Jeff, <laughs> he eventually enters the Jigsaw workshop and he calls out for his wife. And Lynn responds, but as Lynn is going to find Jeff, Amanda shoots her. And so Jeff, holding his wife, Lynn, in his arms, shoots Amanda. And I think after Amanda shoots Lynn, Kramer says something like, you've just destroyed three lives or something, maybe two lives, because he, yeah. cause he says that, that was that's Jeff's wife. And so the twist here, I mean, there's a lot of twists coming up here, but that guy in bed in the beginning is not Jeff. When she says, what do you want from me? He's like, a divorce. Oh, he wanted her to divorce her husband. And it's like, it's, it's a little cheap, but yes, yeah. I kind of like it. And as Amanda's dying, she realizes that basically all the things that Kramer had been saying to Lynn actually applied to her. You know, your challenge is to like keep a life alive because her thing was if a trap didn't go right she would just kill the person right yeah adam even though he doesn't drown in the tub or anything but he ends up surviving at least longer than they thought he would in the bathroom she just goes back in and suffocates him and she also was responsible for dina meyer's death in the beginning and also the the guy in the in the classroom so her thing is like if a trap doesn't go right, that's fine. We can just kill him. Like it doesn't matter who's who's going who's going to talk. Who's going to point fingers? Not yeah, not him. And, and also, dead. another great part about this scene is that Kramer, as Amanda lays dying, Kramer's like, "I was just using you. This was a test." He wanted her to succeed, though. He did. He did. He did. And he was like, "Oh, this is unfortunate." But like, he's like essentially half dead <laughs> on a hospital. Oh yeah, he's mo- he's he's like eighty percent dead. Yeah, but but he knows. Not only can she not continue my legacy because she's dying but she's not worthy to continue my legacy like yeah. i'm about to die but yeah you know i i have i have no heir it's, it's the classic i have no son right isn't that a, <laughs> isn't that a denethor line or something like that in Lord of the probably <laughs> probably was, was kramer in this movie also eating cherry tomatoes and asking people to sing for him <laughs> he wasn't but that's a good point because he does eat something even weirder <laughs> At some point towards the end here, he <laughs> coats a tape that says play me in wax and then swallows it. <laughs> I don't know if this is possible, if that would work, if that would like keep it preserved in a stomach or an intestine where you could discover that in an autopsy, but that's ultimately what happens in soft war. But it's weird. But yeah, because at this point, John Kramer knows everything that's going to happen, basically. And that's that's kind of how the series just works. That's He's basically supernatural. He's mm-hmm. basically God. And as the writing gets worse and worse in the series, this becomes kind of a bigger problem. But 
at this point, maybe it's a little excusable, but so Jeff confronts John Kramer and he says, you, you have a choice. You can, you know, I put you through all that. You can kill me in revenge and thus never end up getting out of here. Or you can forgive me and let me just die in two minutes on my own, right? Basically. Yeah. He chooses to kill him. And he does so in an overly violent way because he takes like a buzzsaw and slices his throat open. But John Kramer is able to play a tape as he's dying. <laughs> and, the, and the tape yeah. <laughs> and the tape tells him, you've just doomed yourself because I was your only way out of here. And now I have your daughter and she's being held and no one knows, no one but me knows where she is. And then, you know, all this stuff, of course, all these twists have been accompanied with their like signature saw, like supercut where mm-hmm. we show all these like earlier things and the awesome variation of the Hello Zep theme from the original. And some of the lines, you know, you will, you will meet the person responsible for, for the loss of your child. That wasn't the guy that killed my son. That was the this guy who kidnapped my daughter. I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's yeah. kind of clever. Yeah. Oh, and also, oh, I guess of course his wife is still alive at this point. But when he when he goes to kill Jigsaw, that obviously sends uh, has her collar go off. So he just inadvertently killed his own wife here, Lynn. Jigsaw is trying to tell him like, you can forgive me, and I can get an ambulance here in like two minutes. Yeah. And we can save your wife. But he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. He does He does he say he forgives throat. him. He does say he forgives yeah, him. Yeah, after he, also he slices, slices his throat yeah. open well, with a yeah. buzzsaw. But yeah, so Jeff survives. He Nothing happens to him. He's just, he's just like trapped here. Yeah. And his daughter is trapped somewhere. And Lynn is dead. Amanda's dead. Jigsaw is dead. And Saw 3 is over. Jim, before we talk about our thoughts on this movie, I want to ask you. So you, you said that you think you've seen Saw 4. I, that's, that was news to me. I didn't realize that. I thought maybe you hadn't really seen any of these movies but the original one we were watching them. But I, want to ask, I wanted to ask you, if you were watching this movie when it came out and someone told you, hey, there's going to be a Saw 4 next year, what would you, where would you expect the story to go? Where would you expect the series to go? Because this is the end. I mean... The villain's dead. Jigsaw's dead. His apprentice is dead. Where can you take the story? Like, what, what, what? Where would you expect it to go, or where would you take it from here? If, if you were a writer, if I was a normal person, and if I was a writer, I would say, hey, let's pick up trying to find this daughter somewhere, and it'll okay. be a police and and father joint effort to find this little girl. So you want more time with Jeff? No, I don't, but I'm saying okay, that's, but that's, I'm that's saying where if, logically if, it should go. Right? If that's Saw 4, we're stuck with that fucking boring-ass character for another movie. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone wants that. But no, I understand, because the daughter, you're right, that's, what do, we, what do you do with that? From what I remember of Saw 4, isn't it just like they find the tape during the autopsy? Yeah. And then it just picks up from there, like he's like, oh, I've got other games set up. Right? Isn't that... It's more convoluted than that, and I don't want to give spoilers for Saw 4. But yes, that's how that's how Saw 4 starts. And the series eventually goes, there was another apprentice, and then there was, like, another another apprentice, and there was kind of... There was, like... So that's where the story's, story actually goes. But I'm thinking, if I were... You know, at the end of this movie, what are the open-ended questions? 
where does the daughter go or you know what what happens with the jeff and the daughter storyline another question i think and i don't think this is the most interesting one to pick up on but you know who is the woman in jigsaw's vision when he's dying who is that blonde woman yeah now now you could have gone they do pick up on that in the series but i'm not sure at this point that's the most interesting thing in the world but that is a little nugget the film leaves you with like okay who is that you know what's going on yeah, I mean, Saw 4 could have gone straight to flashbacks, right? Or, I mean, Saw 4 could have been a, uh, what's the word? Just a prequel. a prequel. Just, Thank you, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's probably the most logical. Jigsaw's dead if we want to make another Saw movie. What did he do before Saw 1, I guess? That's mm-hmm. probably what you'd do. If you, if you continue from this point, you have to have someone else doing a Jigsaw, whether it's an apprentice. I actually think... Yeah. Maybe the more interesting thing could have been a copycat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of going in antho- a bit of an anthology route where like, okay, maybe it's not John Kramer, but he's got people kind of following his ideas and doing, and that's, that's really what Spiral is. And I think the Saw series arguably would have been better if, if Saw 4 was like Spiral and it kind of just started anew, but I don't know. I mean, you want to give Tobin Bell screen time. You, you want to find a way to do that because he's an awesome jigsaw. He's great. Well, and he's also the only good actor in Saw 3 anyways. Ooh. I can't say I disagree. It seems like all the actors they hired were porn stars. That's that's how good the acting was. Well, I'm not watching any porn with Jeff in it, first of all. But, um, no, Jeff is not good. Angus Mc... I want to say McFadden. But you look at his name, the D comes before the Y. So I don't know if he's McFadian. I don't know what that name is. <laughs> More like McFadian. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a Canadian guy, maybe. I'm not sure. Right? It uh, isn't Scottish half of Canada. Oh, he is Scottish. Okay. Um, oh, that was another thing from the commentary track. When Darren Lynn Bowsman was talking about the actor that played Jeff, he's like, oh, he's this guy. Apparently he's in Braveheart, but he's like this. He's like this guy. He he lived in a few really weird places. Like he lived, he had a house in Scotland. And he's like, I think he had a house in Switzerland. And then he had another house in like somewhere really weird. Like he's, he's like, I think it was Geneva or something. Do you know where Geneva is? And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm watching a film directed by a guy that doesn't know Geneva's in Switzerland. Do you know where Geneva <laughs> is? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was, that was kind of funny. <laughs> God. Yeah, of course, of course, that person directed this movie. But yeah, I mean, well, he didn't write it. Yeah, screenplay. Oh, Lee Winnell's not even a co-writer. He's sole screenplay credits and then story by Lee Winnell and James Wan. Okay. I do know from the behind the scenes stuff, though, I think they very much had a working script when they started shooting. And then they like all the dialogue, I think, was kind of changed like while they were shooting and stuff. So I'm sure the outline was there. But yeah, oh, and I guess another open-ended question, you, you, we still, you know, what happened to Donnie Wahlberg? Yes. So we yeah. see him, he, he gets into the hallway, he has a fight with Amanda, he survives, but he's still kind of just stuck in that hallway. So if we want to revisit the Donnie Wahlberg thing, we can do that if we want. But yeah, I, I really do think the, the most interesting they, way they could have gone was a copycat route. I know people don't like copycat routes in horror movies like at the time everyone hated the fifth friday the 13th movie because it wasn't jason it was like some wannabe jason guy Mm -hmm. but i think in a series like saw that probably makes more sense than just oh this other person was also helping jigsaw over and over again using that twist and a series like saw like yeah like tobin bell's the the star but 
the real star is the gore and the gadgets and the traps, right? Like Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, copycat killer would have been fine as long as you still have weird traps, you know, and gore. Yeah. Again, Spiral pulls it off pretty well. They've got some really creative traps, some really downright disturbing gore. There was one part where, like, a guy's finger is being ripped off that just watching Stop that in the theater it. i'm not watching that movie i was, no, I was about to say i'm gonna watch it but now i'm not it's the third best saw movie damn it i mean that's not saying much it's maybe the second best but yeah so jim what did you think of saw three uh patrick this movie for me was such a slog to get through <laughs> i'm gonna be honest the writing is bad the acting is bad the plot is kind of semi-confusing and also uninteresting really jeff is a terrible character jeff is terrible amanda's an annoying character as well a little bit i don't know it was just (laughs) it was just it was what you want out of a saw movie like if like nobody's going to the theater for the stories right they're going for the kills Mm -hmm. but even that being said like the kills weren't that spectacular or interesting Hey, man, the rack is pretty cool. The rack is cool, but that's really the, the rack is neat. cool one I can think of. Yeah, the of, frozen, like... naked woman kind of... Uh... Well, the, the, um, the... Whatever, the blood eagle or whatever, that was cool. Well, I guess the chains, that was pretty gory and neat. But, I don't know, it was just like... It was just kind of a shitty movie. <laughs> it was worse than I remembered. Okay. Yeah, how about you? What, well, what do you think? Well, I'm going to circle back to a couple things you said. You said specifically the writing is bad and the plot is confusing. I don't necessarily disagree. There's some cleverness there, but it does feel like this screenplay is just really trying to withhold information for the sake of having a twist. Yes, yeah. The whole, what do you want from me? A divorce. That seems so cheap Mm -hmm. because it's directly misleading you, but at the same time... I kind of like that. Like, the, the twists kind of work for me where it's it's a lot of, like, the Saw movies always do this, but the whole, like, this thing that Jigsaw said actually had multiple meanings. In this case, what he whatever he said to Lynn actually was directed at Amanda, and she didn't have the foresight to notice that because she's not a god, unlike Jigsaw. I understand that can be frustrating. I kind of enjoyed it, though. Saw 3, like most of the Saw movies, for me, is a guilty pleasure. It's not a good movie. It's maybe a terrible movie. I don't know. It's a huge step down from Saw 2, and, I, and I'm a Saw 2 defender. A lot of people are like, yeah, the first Saw movie is good. All of them suck after that. No, I think <laughs> Saw 2 is pretty good. I, I do. Well, and you know, Saw 2 is fine. Saw 2 had that Donnie Wahlberg performance. Yes, yeah. Saw 3 does not have anything on the level of Donnie Wahlberg in Saw 2. And quite frankly, Saw, Saw 2, that's Tobin Bell's best work in the series. It's mostly just because that's the state he is, where, where he's like kind of dying, but he's at least able to sit upright and deliver lines like here he's just in a bed so he's not bad in saw three but saw two definitely that's the most that tobin bell is given to work with in the series and i think that the film greatly benefits from that and donnie Wahlberg together i think those guys are those are the two best performances in the series saw three like you were saying it's really just tobin bell everyone else kind of sucks and that's largely true unfortunately well, and then even just like the characters, right? Like, they're just so... I don't know if they're written poorly or if they're just boring to watch. Other than, like, Jeff. Like, he's... I don't want to say... Well, Jeff's written, boring to watch, though. I don't He's boring to that. watch. He's a shitty character. He's a shit human character, if that makes sense, what I'm saying yeah, there. Yeah, he's... And, like, his... his but, but you kind of... But, but at the same time, you kind of get... You get it. Well, I mean, yeah, you, I you get it. I get it. He's but not I mean, just, like, a, a raging asshole for no reason. He's... 
No, and, you know. but I, I get that, but it's also like, in a situation like that, I don't want to see somebody die in front of me in some weird, horrific way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, the judge even has to remind him, remind him, like, you're an accessory to murder if you don't, like, do shit. Come on. And then even, like, Lynn, half of what she does in this movie is complain to Amanda and Kramer that I gotta get him to a hospital. Andy, La- Andy Lane. <laughs> yes, yeah. And Jerry. But yeah, all, all she does is complain. I gotta get him to a hospital. I can't do this here. I can't do this here. How am I gonna do this here? What do you want me to do? He's gonna die. Like, that's most of her lines in that 10 seconds that I just read out there. The movie feels very repetitive, and it feels like it's not going anywhere up until the last 15 minutes of the movie. You know? And it's just like, ugh, what am I watching? Hurry up. Get to the end. I don't... I don't... Here's the thing. I don't disagree with you with most of that. I think... It's got a relatively strong opening 15 minutes or so back when Dina Meyer was still mm-hmm, alive. Mm-hmm. That stuff to me is pretty interesting. I agree, yeah. And then last 15 minutes, pretty interesting. Once we get to the rack. But I'll tell you what, that last act or whatever does a lot to save it. I, I think the twist largely works for me. It's dumb. I agree, I agree. It's cheap, but it's interesting. Yeah. And I like that. I, I, I A lot of the middle, I can kind of take or leave. I think... Jeff's, because most of these Saw movies, maybe all of them, have two plots. They have cop investigation plot, which that's only in the opening here, basically. But then they have guy in the game. This movie, we kind of go from cop investigation to the game, but we have two separate games. Mm -hmm. Neither of them are all that interesting. And I think the more frustrating one is the Lynn Amanda stuff, because I think there's at least potential there to make Amanda and Amanda's relationship with John Kramer a lot more interesting than it is. There's a Stockholm syndrome. Like, what we don't really get why she loves this guy, adores him, worships him. But then also, like, if she loves this guy so much, why does she just... He's got one rule, basically, is don't kill people. Make them kill themselves. And then yeah. that's the one thing that she won't do. And, yeah. like, I, I don't... I wanted more from Amanda there, and, and I don't disagree that Shawnee Smith isn't very good in this movie, but I also think it is a pretty poorly written character in the in this film anyways. And I 100% agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I think we just have a perfect storm of shit <laughs> that's, that's come together to make this movie, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and, 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 that's, and that's where you... That's your conclusion. That's fine. But my conclusion is... It's a Saw movie, you know, <laughs> it's, well, exactly. it's exactly, it, you know, like, I, I, I it would have been awesome it. if it was better. It would have been awesome if it was better, if it could have reached Saw 2 levels of like, this is pretty good, or, or even Saw 1 levels of, this isn't great, but I love at least what they're going for. Like, that would have been wonderful, and Saw 3 can't pull that off, and there's a number of reasons it can't. But I still overall kind of enjoy watching it. Like, I I love Jigsaw as a character. I mean, he's incredibly frustrating because he's incredibly hypocritical and everything. But, like, mm. I love how committed he is to everything. And then just he's, he's the most judgmental person ever. And I think that's a fun horror villain. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I still love the Saw movies for all their faults. And I like Saw 3, even though it's far and away up to this point, the worst Saw movie of, you know, of the first three. I guess just to close up my thoughts on it, the only thing I want going into a Saw movie is interesting kills or cool kills, cool contraptions. And 
relatively interesting characters. And this movie was pretty lax on both. For the most part, there was a couple cool machines and kills, but that was it. And all the characters were awful. <laughs> Poorly written and shitty people. Yeah, I, I think where you and I differ then is I, I think we agree on the characters. I think the kills and the contraptions are more interesting than you're giving them credit for. I agree some of them are lackluster. But yeah, Saw 3 gave me kind of what I wanted out of <laughs> out of a shitty, shitty Saw sequel that... Lee Winnell and James Wan are increasingly trying to distance themselves from the series at this point. So, you know, it's all right. I'll watch it again. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's that's the review. It's all right. I'll watch it again. Well, moving on to a movie that I don't think I'll watch again. The Angry Red Planet from 1959. I don't know who it was directed by. I don't care. Oh, I do. (laughs) Oh, who was it directed by? Ib Melchior? Oh my, is that, a, is, is that a, how his name's pronounced? Is that a villain from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. He's, he's an orc. He was born an orc. <laughs> in, I think he's from Denmark or something like that. But the name was super familiar. And I'm like, this guy was like a... Was he a like a science fiction notable? Was he like a B-movie guy? He, he and wrote, and, and he and wrote he, like scripts and stuff and novels. He wrote Robinson Crusoe on Mars, which we've done in this podcast. Which it was a did. far better Mars-based film than this one, even though you didn't like it. It was fine. Compared to this, it was a masterpiece. The name was familiar, and now I know why. Well, how about the names of any of the main characters, like the, the, the actors? Do you recognize any of those? No. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Actually, oh, well, I wouldn't have recognized the name, but I clicked on this guy. The guy who plays Sam Jacobs, who's probably my favorite character because he's kind of just a sex pest who makes weird advances. <laughs> they kind of all make weird advances on, on the one female character. on Iris, this, yeah. This man trip to Mars, but his, his were the most jovial sexual advances, I think. Okay, so that's why yeah. he was kind of my favorite. He's the one with the gun and everything. That guy's in one of the gr- one of the greatest films of all time. He's in The Apartment. He plays the doctor who saves Shirley MacLaine's life after she overdoses on drugs in, an, I think, an attempted suicide. Although we all know, even if he didn't step step in to help her, Shirley MacLaine would have found her way back. <laughs> Do you get that? No, I don't get it. Shirley MacLaine famously believed in reincarnation. Oh, <laughs> so that's. <laughs> I remember years ago there. Were, I think it was a Where's Waldo book. I had this awesome Where's Waldo like monsters, like Halloween, and there was one where one of the pages was in a cemetery, and they had, and there was this one tombstone that said Shirley MacLaine, and it had like eight different dates for like when she died or something. And I remember that's asking <laughs> my parents, like, what what is with that? It's like, oh, she she believes in reincarnation. I'm like, oh, okay. What a solid. <laughs> I don't joke. think I even knew who Shirley MacLaine was at the time, but I think my dad must have thought that was hilarious or something. Uh, that's much better than most things in this movie. Is there life on Mars? For centuries, we have wondered. Now, for the first time, through the new photographic miracle of Cinemagic, you will see the wonders of this strange and terrifying world when you see the Angry Red Planet. There's a spaceship in Earth's orbit, and they got to get it back down to Earth because it has some astronauts who went to Mars on it. Although they're, they're weirdly, they're, when we start with the, like these generals and stuff they're more interested in the equipment yeah yeah th- th- they i really I, I guess they the kind people. of assume everyone is dead aboard because there's no communication going on but they're definitely more like oh there's valuable military equipment aboard it's like um there's four people 
<laughs> I know, yeah. Well, then even when they get to Arizona, which I'm not a big space, like I don't know much about space and stuff and rocket launches, but from what I understand, the reason they launch rockets from Florida is because... Or Texas. Yeah, is because it's close enough to the Earth's equator and there's something to do with like the spin of the Earth and it makes it easier for rockets to exit and re-enter the Earth at these points. I'm sure that's right. I don't know the details. Arizona, whatever. Same thing. Texas, Florida. Arizona's not much further north than Cape Canaveral. I mean, it's definitely further north. You're much more uh, uh, into the 1950s sci-fi scene than I am in the sense that... Well, I was... Until this movie. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I love 50s sci-fi. I, I, I've used the phrase the long 50s to discuss my interest in the science fiction because I basically take it from the 50s to like mid-60s or so when like Star Trek and we get like color TV and stuff like that. Not that I dislike Star Trek, but I want to include like the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits in there and uh, because those to me feel more spiritually 50s than mm-hmm. they feel Star Trek. Yeah, this is one of the worst movies I've seen from that science fiction, the the, the golden age of science fiction, which some would argue is not a golden age, because I think we all have this idea in our head of, oh, the 50s, there was a lot of sci-fi B-movies and stuff like that. And there were, but there were a lot of really, really, really good ones, too. Mm -hmm. And this is not one of them. (laughs) I think it's somewhere above, like, a true B-movie from the 50s, but it's definitely closer to a B-movie than, like, an A-movie. It's definitely closer to Robot Monster, which is the film about a man in a gorilla suit with a space helmet on just walking around in the (laughs) desert for an hour and a half. That's that movie. It's definitely closer to that than it is to, like, Forbidden Planet or The Day the Earth Stood Still. Or even even It, the terror from, what was it, Beyond Outer Space? Of the movies we've done, I would say it's closest to that. It's, it's, It's definitely several steps below Quatermass... And The Fly, it's several steps above Bride of the Monster, you know, the Ed Wood film. But yeah. yeah, it but it is definitely a better movie than this. Exactly, 100%. So this rocket ship is returned to Earth, and there's only two surviving crew members out of four. You have Dr. Iris Ryan, who survived, and Colonel Tom O'Banion, is that his name? Yeah. And his right arm has, like, this weird green alien growth on it. Yeah, it seems like we're going... Quatermass here because this is kind of the setup of Quatermass. The guy comes back from space, yeah, has a yeah. weird thing on his arm and becomes a monster. Classic monster plot, right? There's an Outer Limits episode like that. Yeah, and this is kind of a monster plot, but it has nothing to do with Earth. <laughs> it all has to do with Mars. Yeah, because most of the movies in flashback, but they do the. Well, I guess it's, it ties it into the Saw movies pretty well with how many flashbacks <laughs> they have. But but we do this thing where. She is at the hospital and they're asking her about, like, what can you describe what happened? And then that, that's where we get the long flashbacks. Yes, and the, yeah. most of the rest of the movie is the flashback. Every now and then we cut back to well, for, this from, medical drama going on. From 14 minutes in, that's when they start talking to Iris in the bed. And almost an hour of uninterrupted flashback leads us to the last 20 minutes of the movie. And then we're over. So you get about an hour chunk where it's mostly flashbacks, save for, like, one five-minute scene. You're right. Like, these generals are asking Iris, like, hey, you're awake. What happened on Mars? And it's this extra-long, drawn-out flashback that, like, 50% of it is slice-of-life stuff aboard a spaceship with quirky sex pest Sam Jacobs, semi-quirky, also kind of older sex pest Professor 
And sex pest with class. Yeah, sex pest with class and a pipe. He's got he's got this Humphrey Bogart thing going on. Jacob's sexual advances are like I said, they're jovial. They're just kind of jokes. And when this guy, this Colonel guy, makes advances on her, he's serious about it. But she's also kind of into him, and she, you know, so they eventually. And, and, and there's like a whole little scene where she's putting perfume on she's dabbing some perfume on in the spaceship and and then there's so the other character we we haven't mentioned yet the professor has this yeah he's the professor guy this is a a style of facial hair that's gone away and rightfully so but i want to draw attention to how funny this is the most triangular beard (laughs) you've ever seen he's got like he's like it's more than a goatee because it sticks out a bit but like like he used a level on that thing like it is so just perfectly triangular a a protractor (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, you see some images of, like, the devil, and the devil has, like, that triangle beard there. But, yeah, it, it just looks funny, and it's like, I've seen that in some, like, 50s movies, but, yeah, that's thankfully died out. So, the plot for this advances when Iris believes that she sees something moving outside of the spaceship. So Well, first I'll... off, they land on Mars. I don't think yes, said yes, that. Yes, yes, they land yes. on Mars, and then it, they just stay there for God knows how long, wondering whether or not they should go out, and they're looking outside to see if they can see anything moving around or living. Eventually, Iris sees something, and they all take a trip out. And we get a cool, like, little demonstration of this ice ray that Jacobs has, where he freezes yeah, the a Yeah, freeze ray. <laughs> he names his gun. What does he name it? Cleo. And then as everybody's kind of exploring, Iris gets attacked by uh, a carnivorous plant. <laughs> and it's like, I don't well, know if hang, you... hang, hang on, yeah. hang on. Yeah. Carnivorous plant, sure. We get, we get a variety of monsters on Mars, but we have to talk about how fucking ugly this movie is. First oh, off... Oh, yes. <laughs> I forgot, you, yes. You're, you're, yeah, we are burying the lead. First off, this is a film in color. <laughs> Unfortunately... Um, unfortunately yeah well <laughs> that's the thing but yeah in general it's like a really ugly color like it, it looks like from like the early 40s or something and again i think that's just it's not the biggest budget but it's in color so it can't be like a no budget thing I, i'm seeing on wikipedia two hundred thousand dollar budget oh, no, I, I don't no not twenty thousand buddy <laughs> um so i don't know to compare it to other you know sci-fi movies at the time the fly or i'll look up the fly really quick because the flyer is in beautiful color. Well, here you look it up. I'll explain this color. Yeah, because the special effects. Yeah, the, the, the fly. The, the fly is three million. Okay, the fly is a lot <laughs> more expensive than this movie. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the this is a B worst movie. part about this is the fucking color. And when they land on Mars, like everything in this spaceship and on Earth obviously looks normal. But as soon as they exit the spacecraft onto normal Mars, normal but ugly. But as soon as they exit the spacecraft onto Mars, it's this like bright reddy orange like rust color <laughs> oh my god that just covers everything yeah all yeah sets, they just put a filter yeah. they just put a filter over the camera and this is they of course this is the days of how do we market this movie they called this cinemagic that's <laughs> that's what this Cine that's what this shit coloring process was called this is a way to deliver special effects that they couldn't get for a better budget i read that this was supposed to be made for a lot more money than it was and the budget was cut significantly so like i think cinemagic was like a last minute thing to like pull off the look of mars but you know and it doesn't pull it off you could and it's so because like things like really blur it's at certain angles and and the shadows shadows are just so harsh it's just ugly it's awful regardless of the color which is you know ugly but i at least understand what they're going for you know the mars the red planet and everything but it's just unpleasant to look at 
it, it's it's visual vomit is what it is. It's just smeared sort of. onto the screen. It's atrocious. It's awful. It's grating, irritating. And by the end of it, I was getting a headache from looking at this fucking orange on the screen. I was so upset by it. <laughs> I was sitting there, Patrick, and I... Well, you remember you and I had a conversation the other day, and I said, why don't I make you watch movies that you don't want to watch, just so I can hear your thoughts on them? I watched these two movies, Patrick. <laughs> All right. And I was so upset by the end of it. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is, I mean, just a preview for the end thing. This might be the worst double feature we've done. I'll give you that. <laughs> I will give you that. Uh, yes. Uh, it's not my fault, though. It's the, it's no, the, it's the, it's the random fault. number generator. You were with me. You were I witness. Was. We was. could have vetoed this and gotten the alligator well, people. Well, who would have thought that this was going to be such a shit movie? <laughs> exactly. I thought, like, because I knew nothing about it, but like, oh, 50 sci-fi, there's usually something fun about those movies. I wanted to see the alligator people so bad. I don't even know what that movie is still, but but <laughs> at least we're, we're doing we'll it later it this time. season. Oh, good. The alligator people are coming. They're coming. Uh, so anyways, man-eating plant. Iris gets attacked by this plant. I can tell what they're going for, but I think, like, I don't know if you picked up on this. You could see, like, stitching and, like, bolts or, like, nuts or something that were, like, that was holding some of this creature together that they made. And I think that they were hoping that it would be kind of covered obscured by the red yeah and it totally wasn't like because all because again all it is is a fucking filter so anyways she gets attacked by this man-eating plant jacobs uses his freeze ray his ray gun freeze ray gun yeah. they save her but then they decide hey let's go back to the ship that's enough exploring for today can can we give the film some credit for knowing they need spacesuits? but here's the thing about that right there's a line earlier in the film where the professor says there is oxygen on Mars, but not enough to sustain us, so we have to wear our suits. So they go out there wearing suits, but they're clearly not wearing visors. Like it's just open to the air. You know, you was, know why that is because it's, the I'm glass sh- kept fogging up. I was assuming that the something with the red process just you wouldn't be able to see someone's face. Oh you know, yes, I, I was thinking it was probably something with that. Yeah, I, I read up a bit on this movie, and they were saying it was because the actors couldn't see. And you couldn't see their faces because the glass okay. kept fogging up. But in either way, you can't see the actor's face. But it's just <laughs> a different different way. I thought yeah. it was more of a yes. technical with how they color graded it or whatever you the filter. Well, in the morning they decide to stumble out of the ship again, and this is my favorite part of the movie. They come upon some weird looking trees that Iris immediately says, "This doesn't look like bark. Give me your machete so I can cut into it." Oh, this is awesome! And she hacks into it, and it turns out that the trees are the legs of this giant bat rat tarantula. It's got. It's like a, a spider crab <laughs> with like a with a rodent like face. This is awesome. He's on the poster. Yeah, I know. So so that's what I was going to say. Usually with movies like this, you don't get that monster that's on the poster. I think that's a more modern thing, actually. But I just oh, okay. wasn't sure if we were getting it. But you get you do get a lot of images on posters that you don't see in movies. A lot of like, because this was a popular thing in movies where the monster always carries the woman or the robot carries the woman or whatever. Mm-hmm. You'll see that in a lot of posters. And it's like, wait a second, that wasn't in the movie. Yeah, well, and, and, and this monster, it's got like scorpion claws and a bat's head and like a rat's tail and giant spider legs. It's cool. It is cool. It's creative. It's like screeching. And and I love, you can tell that they're in a big studio and they're actually moving these legs that they created around until they cut to other shots. They do a good job convincing you that this is the size that they want you to believe it is. Yes. I think. That's something nice we can say about this movie. Oh yeah, this, everything with this, with this guy, this crab monster is awesome. 
We get two hours of Crab Monster. I'm I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> recommending this movie, but you know. But it's it's it immediately beelines it to the professor who's hiding between two rocks and it tries to kill him. And then Jacobs blinds it with his freeze ray. And then the <laughs> this monster starts screaming in agony. And then they run away. But then they stumble upon like a Martian lake. And then they say, "Okay, that's enough exploring for today. Let's go back to the ship." And when they get back to the ship, I forget who it is. If it's the colonel or the professor, one of them says, we're leaving. And I've made up my mind. This place is too dangerous. I don't want anything to happen. So they try to fly away, but there's like a, but there's like this force field blocking them. They're like, oh, that's crazy. So I guess I don't know how much time passes or anything, but the colonel says, you know what? Let's paddle across that lake and see what's over there. Because they can't figure out how to leave this place. They're hoping there's, I don't know, something that will turn a force field off or something. So they start paddling across this lake, and they see a Martian city on the opposite side. And I will say, the close-up of this city makes it look stupid, because it's clearly a drawing or something. Yeah, the Emerald City was the same. I, I have no complaints about Yeah, this. but that was that was kitschy and cute. This is just annoying, but... <laughs> I think you just... I mean, listen, I didn't like the movie either, but for you to hate on this, I think you just went into this with a poor attitude, I okay? Did. I did. I was very upset by this movie. <laughs> But I will say, though, I was about to give it a, a, a positive. On the wide shot of them in the lake, the city on the horizon does look kind of cute and interesting. There you go. Okay. I, I agree. I, I thought I thought this looked pretty good overall, the city. I mean, as, as good as something can look when it's just got smeared with a red filter. <laughs> and it looks all, everything looks bad. It's awful. But the coolest part about this scene is the water starts bubbling up and this giant lake sea monster rises out of it and uh, it chases the crew back to the ship and at first like (laughs) they get out of the lake and you think okay this monster is not going to chase them anymore but then it just starts coming across land (laughs) and like knocking down trees which is pretty exciting also its eyes or at least one eye is just spinning around and around because uh he's trying to freeze it well he learned earlier the freeze gun had no impact on the crab monster until he aimed it at the eyes to blind it mm-hmm. and so he's he jacob's try kind of trying to do the same thing except it's eye is constantly spinning around so he can't blind it i assume that's why that's doing that well and speaking of eyes we get a quick shot of like a three-eyed martian hiding behind yes. a rock while this is going on uh the monster chases them back to their ship and everybody piles inside and the colonel shouts close the door but just as they're trying to do that, the monster reaches inside and grabs Jacob, <laughs> Jacobs and eats him. <laughs> this is a very, very avoidable death. Yeah, oh, 100%. But you know what the great thing about this scene was? It reminded me of Futurama. Whenever somebody gets eaten by like the slime people in that show, you can just see them like floating in the stomach of the slime people. I did like the stomach detail. But also, another thing I enjoyed about this is that after this guy, after Jacobs has been taken by this monster, and there's clearly nothing they can do. They just kind of stand staring at it for like a good twenty seconds, keeping the door <laughs> wide open. Like, but like I, I would get back inside, maybe check through the window. You know, yeah, exactly. if you yeah, really want to see what's please. happening. It's at this point that they notice that the colonel's arm has this weird green goop on. Or sorry, this actually, I guess it is green because they're in the spaceship now. They notice it has like this weird green goop on it. The monster must have touched him at some point. They don't really think about that. The monster is has wrapped itself around their ship. It's covering the porthole windows. It's kind of just a gelatinous kind of thing. Exactly. At this point. Yeah. And they realize that it will 
probably eat its way through the hull shortly. So they come up with this plan to electrify the outer hull and zap it. And they zap the monster and they kind of scare it off. Then they rewire the ship to take off. And they do. They fly away. Also, the professor, I guess, dies? Well, so there's a couple things that happen here because it gets confusing. They scare off the monster. And then a radio message comes in and it's from like a Martian. And as this Martian is speaking, Iris passes out. And when she comes to, she runs over to the professor who's dying because he had a heart attack on takeoff. I guess the G-force was too much for him to bear. And oh, oh, I hang on, hang yeah. on. That reminds me. In the opening scene, when it's just like a bunch of generals and like one professor talking about mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, we're going to bring them back. And they're talking about the G-forces that they're going to use or that are going to be exerted on the ship as they're trying to bring it back. And they say something like it could be four or five Gs or something. It's like, I don't know if someone can survive that. Like, (laughs) yes, you can. That's not... Okay, listen. Even by 1959, they should have known that, right? I'm into roller coasters. Maybe sustained, maybe like five Gs for like hours and hours on end. Maybe that's... You can't survive that. But... Four and five G's is not uncommon on just like any roller coaster. Like there's been, there's one roller coaster in, I think South Africa that I I think is, is, has the record for the most. And I think it's like nine G's or something. And I think that one like has had problems and like people have like gone blind on that one. But (laughs) four or five G's is not like blood vessels get popped and stuff. But four or five G's is like nothing. Like I know that much. Oh man. Well, yeah. So the G's kill the professor. I don't know. I'm. I'll be. I'm gonna be honest. I zoned out pretty hard by this point in the movie. Which, first of all, they they all experience the same G's, didn't they? I mean, whether she's passed out or not. Yeah. So I don't. G's G's aren't a mental thing. No, exactly. Those yeah. are it... real physical forces. G G stands for gravity. We all experience it. <laughs> <laughs> we all experience it. Well, then she sees uh, the colonel laying in a in, in his bed, and he's got all this green gunk all over his arm. And then we kind of catch up with, with what's really happening with Iris laying in a hospital bed. The generals are asking her what's happened. She goes, I don't remember. So then they have to go talk to the colonel who's like just barely awake or alive because he has this organism on his arm, which they electrocute off. They're like, oh, I don't know, uh, Dr. Gordon, can we save him? And he's like, well, now that we know what we're dealing with. And I'm like, but you still don't. Yeah, you still have no idea. (laughs) She has no fucking clue what's going on. So it's not like she gave you any valuable information here. All she said was we electrocuted this monster on Mars. Yeah, which, which eventually they use, but they also are worried like, yeah, but he could die from this too and she's like she eventually figures she sciences some way to figure out like <laughs> she's, she's like oh yeah but it's <laughs> but with the problem is we're, we're treating this creature like it's a plant and it's not it's an actual animal so we can scare it we can get it to make a mistake there's like something like that i don't know there's also all of their recordings are like wiped out or they listen to like the first half of them and they're they've all been erased as if they've been exposed to some kind of giant magnet which i assume was the electrical thing but i'm not sure i guess so but but right near the end ira says well i had to put a new tape on to record this alien message because they were asking like what did the alien or what did the martian say she said oh he should be on a tape so they play back the tape and this martian is like yeah the, the last tape is the only one that's not been harmed yeah 
And it's a, it's a message from the Martians, and this one Martian fellow's like, look, human race, we've been watching you for thousands of years. Your technology has grown faster than you have. You're still children of space, and, and you shouldn't be traveling to other worlds. And when you came to Mars, we took that as an invasion. And if you ever come... And, and the force field that wouldn't let you leave, we put up. But then we wanted you to leave, so we took the force field down. But if you ever come back to Mars, we will destroy everybody on the earth and the earth itself and we have the ability to do so that's it <laughs> that's the end of the movie <laughs> so uh patrick <laughs> what did you think of this god-awful movie i'm tempted to say especially based on the ending of the film that this is the worst version of the day the earth stood still that's ever been made <laughs> except then i remember that there was the remake starring keanu reeves oh, so i'm gonna no. walk that back a bit but no this is the day the earth stood still the message is the same day the earth stood still the message is us aliens we've noticed that humans have created weapons and stuff and they're irresponsible and if you guys don't get your act together we're just gonna wipe you all out because we consider you a threat mm -hmm. to to the to the universe that's sort of what's going on here but no this movie not good it's uh it's ugly it's it's one of the ugliest films i've looked at and and i mean the special effects the 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 cinemagic all the red blob crap is just ugly to look at i thought i found just the regular color of the movie to be ugly too that's, you know that's due to the when it was made and everything but yeah i didn't like it i liked jacobs and his little joviality he was just kind of a fun character mm -hmm. he's the only one that really stood out to me the whole Iris and the Colonel relationship. I've seen a lot worse, like budding romances in older movies, but it still not, doesn't mean this is good. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like it. It's not that entertaining. It feels longer than an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, even just the way the movie opened. Like, we have this exciting, like, oh, we have this space shuttle that we launched, and it's stuck in orbit, and we need to bring it down. Like, that should be, like, an exciting opening. But instead, it just opens. It's these people in a boardroom yeah all boring. talking to each other for five just minutes just talking like hey we can bring these people like this is so boring and also the opening shot is of the u.s capitol yeah and it looks like utter shit what is that <laughs> is that is that like stock footage from like the 20s you know what it looked what is like that? it looked like like they had projected an image of it i was overexposed or underexposed it just but it just looked bad mm -hmm. and most of the rest of the movie looks equally bad, I guess. But yeah, it, I didn't like it, Jim. I know you didn't like it, but please explain why. Yeah, you know, I totally agree with all your points. It feels much longer than it really is. It's a terribly boring movie. The one good thing I can say about it is that some effects were kind of fun. They were kind of cute. Some of the monster stuff is 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 charming. Oh, especially the the crab the, monster thing. The crab Fantastic. guy is awesome. He's, yeah, exactly. I would like He's an awesome. entire movie of that guy. Oh, if yeah. you had just some hack B movie science fiction thing with that guy running around Washington D.C. or New York, I would like that movie. Oh, absolutely. If it was just all him, absolutely. I'm 100 percent on board for this. The one nice thing I will say compared to Saw is that I liked the acting in this movie better, <laughs> even though. I think this is a terrible fucking movie. The best way I could describe it to somebody who hasn't seen this movie is, listener, in your mind, picture the most boring episode of the original Star Trek series you could ever imagine, and then stretch it out for two and a half hours, even though it's only an hour and 20 minute runtime. 
You're just talking about Star Trek the Motion Picture there. How dare you? <laughs> you know I love damn that well movie. That's what, you know damn well that's exactly I what I love the that movie. How is. dare you? But yeah, it's it's I mean, I don't have anything else to say about it. You've covered all the bases. It's looks ugly. There's nothing going on. Yeah, Cinemagic was a disappointment. And for 50% of it, it's characters talking about things that they want to do or that they or that they hope Mars is like. That's every 50 science fiction movie. I'm, maybe I'm used to that. That didn't bother me so much. It's just a fucking train wreck of a of a boring movie, and I'm not surprised nobody knows about it. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, it should remain in 1959 in obscurity. Where it's it no belongs. alligator people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, never, I've still never seen the alligator people. I don't know anything about it, but I... I'm looking forward to that movie. I'll say that. Which one? Which one do you like better, Patrick? <laughs> Saw three. Yeah. It's longer and arguably dumber. And I don't. I don't think the acting is worse. I don't think the acting's great in either films. But I. It's to me. It's just so much more entertaining. Like it. it yeah. It, it's a Saw movie. It, you already know if you're gonna like Saw three or not. Probably. And Saw three. I think there are some people that know the reputation of Saw that might be pleasantly surprised by the original film if they were to actually sit down and watch it. And yeah. Like, oh, that's not as disgusting and depraved as I thought it was. <laughs> like, Saw 3 is kind of what you picture in your mind when you hear about the Saw movies. I think that's kind of what Saw 3 is. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a decent amount. And The Angry Red Planet is largely irredeemable, I think. So, Jim, which of these two do you prefer? Uh, even though I spent so much time shitting on Saw 3, I have to pick Saw 3 because... The Red Planet, I'm borrowing your words here, or the Angry Red Planet, Angry is Red Planet. is largely irredeemable. Yeah. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's my thoughts. <laughs> but, my friend, how do you think they stack up as a double feature? Oh, this is the worst double feature we've had, probably, or at least since Emmanuel and Super Dragon vs. Superman. <laughs> it's... It's bad. I mean, yeah. there's no real way to mince words. It's just... If you put the two movies together... They're so wildly different in terms of just the era. They're they're literally made in different centuries and just the style of filmmaking. And then if you add it all up, like Angry Red Planet is just ugly. It's all, all that red and stuff. And honestly, the Saw movies, even though I think it kind of works for a lot of them, the Saw movies just have that ugly green. Yes. Where, like, yeah. those are kind of unpleasant to look at. And I really believe me, there's a lot of red in Saw 3, too. But, yeah, there's just not much going on. The only thing is that both films are kind of medical dramas for large stretches because in the, in the <laughs> present day. And then there is a Dr. Gordon, and that's fun. I mean, we don't see Dr. Gordon in, in Saw 3, but we see his name. So that that's really all they have in common. It's not good. Jim, agree with me. Yeah, 100% I agree with you. What am I, maybe? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, uh, the other thing that well, I will say you know. that they have in common is that you have lots of ugly, disgusting red to look at. And sure. also ugly, disgusting red gore scenes. I think all of the gore in Saw, and I'll, I'll admit some of it was even made me squirm a bit. I mean, specifically, the guy in the classroom ripping the hooks off of like his hips. Ugh, ugh. and the, his, of his, his like ankles, love handles. The backs of his ankles. Yeah. Yeah, and then the um, the surgery scene. That stuff to me is considerably more pleasant to look at than the terrible cinemagic <laughs> that is the angry red planet special i agree effect, though so. i agree <laughs> right i'd pick it any day over the angry red planet i really would what a terrible movie what are we doing next week i'm gonna go out on a limb and say these are better films we are doing <laughs> the terminator from director oh. james cameron and we are doing 
Mad Max from director George Miller. So two films that launch franchises that have films released in the 21st century to varying levels of critical acclaim if you look at Terminator Genesis versus Mad Max Fury Road. But but yeah, the icons, we've got Arnold Schwarzenegger returning. And, and an anti-Semite. Yes, yeah, we got someone who cheated on his wife. We got, which, according to Jigsaw, that's enough to maybe get you killed. And then um, the, the anti-Semite, which... I don't know how Jigsaw feels about that kind of thing. <laughs> so let's, I know how I feel about it. I'm not cool with it, but yeah. Uh. So The Terminator, Mad Max, that's coming up next week. All you listeners out there, there's probably a decent chance you've seen at least one, if not both, movies. But definitely go ahead and check them out before next week. And we would love to have you join us again. 